Talk Radio. Welcome to Ray and Tay Today. Talking sports with friends. Ella, just talk about sports. Here it is, y'all. We're on the air. Sit on the sofa, throw your hands in the air. We're talking sports so you can come on and listen. NFL predictions, what's your message? Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray, Tall Rayside. And I'm Tay, Eric Taylor, and we are back. Oh, great to be on. We missed you. A busy show, obviously, talking about the NBA playoff, the bubble boycott, and we'll start with the rest of you look, everybody's saying everything. Rest in peace, rest in power, rest in paradise. Our hearts are heavy. We'll start off with, we'll go to one, you could start off, but rest in peace, Lou Olson, Cliff Robinson, Chadwick Bozeman, and John Thompson Sr. Ray, start us off with Lute and just uh, four in, in like, what, three, four days. I mean, just heartbreaking. Yeah, they say death comes in threes, but it's more than that. But uh, Lute Olson, man, uh, you know, he's one of those guys, because he was quiet, I mean, you ask his players, he he put a stamp on the program, but because he was quiet, you don't remember how successful he was. I think he had something like 21 seasons of winning 25 games at Arizona. That's yeah. a big deal. You know, he, he started out at Long Beach Community College and Long Beach State, then had a nice little run at Iowa. But, of course, he's known for being the man at Arizona. And he won 11 Pac-10 regular season titles, four Pac-10 tournaments, five Final Fours, and, of course, that one NCAA tournament in 1997 where they really stunned Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky was the, was the better team and, you know, but, but it tells you what guard play can do, right? Oh, yeah. He helped them believe Miles Simon. Great. And Bibby. Yeah. Bibby. Yeah. Mike Bibby, Miles Simon, that backcourt, they really believed. And, and Lute Olson was consistently there. He was consistently in the sweet 16 in the final four. He was just a factory for pro players and, you know, Arizona wasn't known to be a basketball factory before Ludo. No, he turned, really- it into it. he turned it into it, Ray. And he had a ton of NBA players that, you know, that we know from Sean Elliott to Richard Jefferson to Bibby, you know, a lot of talented. Kerr. Yeah, Kerr, Iguodala, a lot of guys that have gone on to have, you know, great careers. He might not have had the legends like John Thompson, but, and Ludo Olsen also, Ray, was just, a gentleman and I thought brought a lot of uh, class and, and really brought back the PAC 12, you know, when they had some down years after, you know, all the great wooden and this and that, I mean, you know, he kind of brought it back in the late eighties and nineties and Arizona basketball. It became, like you said, like it became a basketball school for sure. So that was very upsetting. Then of course, Ray Cliff Robinson, you know, when you think of him as a Yukon Husky, and I was talking to a friend the other day, and I, I was thinking about it, and I said, wow, if you think about it, 
not only was he was one of the first, like, you know, of the early Big East players to, you know, make it in the NBA and be successful, he was one of the first stretch power forwards. You know, if you remember, Cliff with the Blazers was hitting the three-pointer. He was about six, ten and a half, six eleven. Only made one All-Star, but you know, made it to the NBA Finals twice with the Blazers, losing to the Pistons and the uh, Chicago Bulls. By the way, Bulls. that's Uncle Cliffy to that, you. That's it is Uncle Cliffy, yo. And, and I just, you know, it was so. Uh, it, look, we could spend hours talking about all these guys, but that was rough. And then. You go to, you know, sticking Wait, with the sport. Let me just throw a couple of words in about right. Cliffy, though. Cliffy played 18 NBA seasons. Oh, talk and six man of the year, too. I must forgot about that. Right. And talk about a guy who, you know, to play 18 seasons, first of all, you got to be good. Then you got to be healthy. Then you got to reinvent yourself, you know. In the middle of your career, you're averaging 20 a game. I'm, I'm actually just pulled up his stats. So, Stats. So, so three, four years, he's averaging 20 a game. And then mm. he averages, you know, between 15 and 18 a game for the next six or seven years. And then he holds on, but he's still, he's still contributing, you know, at the end of his career. With the Nets. Yeah. He, yeah. Was in, he, he was definitely contributing an, an 18 year NBA career, man. That that's. I didn't that's realize it was that long. That's right amazing. There. Yeah. No. You're right. It's amazing, you know, and it's just, uh, and, you know, he was just. Played until he was, he was 40. Could you imagine? Really? He played Gosh. until he was 40. And that's before cats were even dreaming of doing that, right? You know, if you if you think about it. You right. Know? I'll give you a crazy stat. His second to last year with the Nets. I mean, his last year, he, he played 50 games. Second to last year with the Nets, he played 80 games as a 39-year-old, started 13, yes, averaged 23 minutes a game as a 39-year-old. I mean, Uncle wow. Cliffy was was playing. You love, you love to hear that, man. But, you know, only when I think, if you know, I close my eyes, I just think of him with Buck Williams and Kevin Duckworth, Terry Porter, and, of course, Clyde the Glide Drexler, and it was just, Oh my goodness, like amazing. And then we, you know, we go to the legend, John Thompson. Now, Lute had the 776 wins. I think John Thompson was 598 or 596. But, Ray, when you talk about Hoya Paranoia, and for us, you know, as kids in, in New York City growing up with St. John's, Georgetown, John Thompson, of course, he won uh, two years with the Celtics, won chips in 65 and 66. But you know, broadcaster, all these great things, right? You know, even in a radio show later on in the last, later years of his life, his birthday was coming up, he passes away at 78. But when you think of the way he fought for his players, and he's not just a, a gentle giant and a great coach, but he was a greater man off the court, right? What he did, like Alan Iverson at the speech crying, said, look, he saved my life. You think about Patrick Ewing, Otto Graham, um, <clears throat> Michael Jackson, all the different, you know, Chris Smith, all the different players that Reggie Williams that went to Georgetown, Alonzo Mourning. He he built such a program with this small little Catholic school in D.C., right, that is like, you know, known for its academics. I had a couple of friends that went to Georgetown and Georgetown Law. I mean, before John Thompson, it wasn't, you know, it was nothing. And then, of course, you see his legacy of Ronnie and then John Thompson the third, and now his player, Patrick Ewing, coaching there. 
you know, his fingerprints on the game. And I love how he was like, look, he didn't even want to be thought of as the first African-American, you know, head coach and stuff like that to win a chip when they beat Vaislama Jemma and Hakeem Olajuwon and Guy Lewis, you know, but he was just, and of course that big upset to, to Villanova, that was heartbreaking for him and to losing to Dean Smith in North Carolina the way they did. I mean, he got the chip to a bunch of, you know, final fours. He had great tournament success. The battles, remember, with him and Lou Conner-Seca and Jim Beheim, I mean, they made the Big East. And I believe he went to he went to Providence, right? He went to Providence College. You know, yeah, he, so, was, he went and played at Providence before being drafted by the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, and, and but you know what I love? Remember how he went to bat after he got out of prison and then the crowd he, he was he was threatening the boycott they didn't take down signs calling him the next oj and then Patrick, when they would make monkey sounds and call you know i mean you had you forget about it but it was so freaking racist it was ridiculous and john thompson stood up ewing and iverson and his players and you know just a, a pioneer and just a, a true a father to so many and a legend, and it's just uh, that was that was a, another hard one, you know. And you know, I don't know. I think the word pioneer can't be used enough for John Thompson. Yeah. He went through the system, right? So he played college, and he played for the Celtics, and he won championships. But he really put his stamp, like you said, the Big East was really the mecca of college basketball for about a decade. Yeah. And John Thompson brought the attitude, the swagger, and, you know, frankly, a lot of coaches owe their, you know, opportunities. And, and, and we know that there aren't enough opportunities for African-American coaches in all sports, but specifically in basketball, John Thompson was a pioneer because he not only was a great coach and recruiter and motivator and all that, but he really made a stand for his players, for his team, for the game, for Georgetown University. So in many ways, his impact was even greater off the court than it was on the court. And we know on the court how dominant Georgetown was, right? If you're a Georgetown fan and you're, let's say, a Patrick Ewing fan, to get to the final game three times, but to only amazing. win it once, you know Patrick's got to be still that that Villanova one's got to kill him, right? Right. You remember, Carolina, he was like just, center. You know how they have like VBU. He was like center U because you got Ewing, Alonzo, Matumbo, our fellow Harrison. Sure. You know, it was crazy. All those guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and, and and those recruits and and that style of basketball that was oh, you know defense. what Arkansas called. 40 minutes of hell, you know, yeah. in the early nineties. Well, that was Georgetown in the mid eighties, right? They just, they got into it. They played you 94 feet. They played D they led with their moxie. They walked into the gym and they just knew that they could play. And, but yeah, you know, nothing, is, Ray, nothing gives you chills more than like when you saw Sherman Douglas and Charles Smith going at it in the orange dome and the carrier dome and, and, and Georgetown Syracuse battles. I mean, I can remember just, I mean, you know, watching it together, but just CBS Sports, college basketball, Big East, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, Georgetown, Syracuse, or Georgetown, Boston College, Georgetown, Connecticut. Mike Gorman on the call. Oh, oh my gosh. Such, such good memories. And then, 
you know, another tragic loss that spills into the sports world because of just a young, legendary career. At 43 years old, actor Chadwick Boseman dies of colon cancer, which he got at 39. And when you, I was looking at his catalog. I mean, this guy was about to be like the next big, I mean, he already was huge, but I mean, like legendary. And you could always, you could kind of say when you think about what he's done in the movies he was in, that he already was legendary. We obviously know Black Panther, but that was the whole saga, right? Because he had his film. Just heard today they were going to do Black Panther 2 in Atlanta in January if the you know pandemic didn't start. But, you know, he was already starting to get so skinny and ill. I don't even know if it would have been film. He did the Civil War, Black Panther. Then you have Infinity War. You have Endgame. He was Jackie Robinson before he was Thurgood Marshall and Marshall. Get on up. Get on up. He was James Brown. I mean, that enough, you could just drop the mic, right? With Disney film, black superhero, like the largest, you know, like Disney superhero film, like forever, worldwide. Then if you remember, he was uh, he was in Draft Day, and there was a couple of other you know great films. And then his last film, I haven't seen and yet. I gotta watch it now on Netflix. It looks so good. The the D A the Five Bloods. It's on Netflix from Spike Lee. He's in that about the Vietnam War and coming home and 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 just you know, with different things as a black man in this country. I mean, Ray, he put it down in a way that. And I remember Draft Day. When I was looking at that, I was like, people didn't talk about it, but I actually like Draft Day with Kevin Costner and the Cleveland Browns and the whole thing, you know? So, yeah, sure. like, uh, you know, I, I tip my hat. And I know, you know, for me, having young boys, 11 and 7, they love Black Panther. And I, all I could say is Wakanda forever because that's all they've been saying. And I've been seeing these social media posts it's so sad of young kids just upset with their like superhero dolls and Black Panther. I mean, it's, you know, it, you, when you see it through a kid's eyes, you realize like, you know, he was, and, 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 you know, to be a black superhero that every kid loved of every race, you know, it's such a big, uh, my heart uh. Yeah, it's terrible. And, you know, like you said, to play, First of all, he's a talented actor, but oh, the yeah. roles that he played he's are like, great as Robinson in Forty Two. I love that movie. Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall and James. Brown. I mean, these are like seminal, uh, you know, people. Let alone African American, but let alone yeah, seminal people in the, you know, for the last hundred years. But yeah. what, what amazed me more than anything was the fact that nobody knew that he had this colon cancer and he was fighting it and he still came to work and he brought his lunch pail and he was doing his thing creatively. Yeah. And, and you know how much energy it takes to, to uh, film? I, you know more than anybody. You know. know what it takes to film a movie. And also these movies like, uh, you know, 42. A lot of you were So when you're the lead, Black Panther, time off. <laughs> When you're the lead and it's a physically taxing movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they said that's, he was doing crazy. chemo in between stuff and doing quick chemo. Like I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's. We were joking off air, people, but we were saying like, hey, you know, reset or fast forward 2020 and maybe 2021. Get us to 2022 because it's been too much. 
But let's get to, you know, the current stuff. I mean, we have the heavy stuff, and then we'll get into the fun and the predictions and the games. But, the, you know, what the Milwaukee Bucks did, obviously with the insane shooting of, of Jacob Blake and, and um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and just how the world and the, the players reacted coming off of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, just, I mean, it's been the pandemic, the social, and you know, justice, just, you just want to be like, can we all just stop it, grow up, mature, and just respect and love one another, period. But what the NBA players did, I think, was a historic game changer. One, it's never been done in, in sports like that. But for a team that was willing to forfeit the game, but then the whole league to stop. And it's not just the regular season. This is the playoffs. And you're talking about money and advertising. And, yes, it's in the bubble and everything's new and different. But it's historic, and, and I give the Bucks credit because they were frustrated from what they were hearing from the attorney general and, and, and the police uh, department and stuff and, you know, the DA in, in Wisconsin, in Kenosha. And then they just said, you know what, bump that. We, 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 we got to stop. Sports is not more important than human lives and human beings. And, and um, I, I really tip my hat to them. And then you saw all the other leagues follow, right, ML, MLS. WNBA, some of the baseball teams and players, and you saw the guy in the Mets crying, and then the NFL, they stopped training camp, and they said, you know, maybe if it was week one, we might have not have played, played games. I mean, it's all so intense and emotional, and then we'll get to that of uh, talking about Jamal Murray, but what did you think about the, the, the not just the, the courage it takes to do that, right? And I guess they have that because they have the support of the owner, right? The Milwaukee Bucks, who I know you had a, a you know connection or relationship with. But just what did you feel about what the Bucks did and the, and the NBA players and just all that's uh, going on with this stuff, right? So it's funny because I think the NBA is in a unique position to really have a voice and a platform in this whole notion of racial equality and, and specifically with Black Lives Matter, 75% of the NBA is black. Yeah. So, you know, from a player perspective, obviously the NBA, you know, way over represents what, uh, you know, the percentage of black people in society. But what it tells you though, is that let's put it this way. If, if the NBA couldn't make a stand, then you'd be really worried because it's like, okay, th- this is the league that's got 75% black uh, representation throughout the players. They've got a pretty, what looks to be a a pretty harmonious relationship with their commissioner, which you can't really say in some of the other leagues. And so I think that, that they were able to take this. But still only one black owner. The only one black only owner. Only one black owner, correct. No, no, on, only sure, one the black majority. Owner, right? I mean, Grant Hill and other guys have little snippets, but, sure, you know, the sure, Hawks, sure. Only one black record. owner. Yeah. Right, but it seems like the players and the commissioner seem to be, you know, more or less on the same page, right? Everybody has their own interests, and, and you know, the commissioner ultimately works for the owners. But, yeah, um, Michelle but Roberts. The yeah. NBA has their – you know, has as good a platform in this area of social justice as as can be. 
So I was proud of the fact that, uh, you know, it, it was a domino effect, right? The, the, the Milwaukee Bucks decided they weren't going to play. So then the NBA kind of said, all right, well, do we give the Orlando Magic the win or do we just cancel the game? And they did obviously the right thing. And then the other teams followed suit. But now I have a question for you. So now that players voted for whether or not they should continue or they should cancel the season. And then it turns out that the L.A. Lakers, so two of the top three teams in the NBA, were the only two teams to vote to cancel the season. So what do you think about that? Because one view is they are honestly – they were willing to do that, right? And they had two of the three best players in the league, or maybe three of the four best players or three of the five best players in the league. Or do you take the more cynical view that it was a little bit of grandstanding because they knew that the league was going to go on and they just wanted to kind of take that, no, you know, I think take, take that high road. That LeBron, I guess, had spoken to Obama. They're talking to Dr. Harry Edwards and different you know, uh, people, I think it was a, a, a big move because the reality is, number one, sports and entertainers shouldn't have to do this, right? But unfortunately, the way America works, and we've seen it and we've always talked about it, that sports moves the needle racially because it's entertainment and you're having the powers that be and the predominant culture of, of Caucasian people in America, their entertainment being interrupted. And it was, you know, you, you know, you go from the equalizers from Jesse Owens and with Hitler and his supposed false ideologies of, of, you know, dominance. And then you have, you know, Jack, was it Jack Johnson knocking out Max Snelling, right? And then you have, um, you know, all these athletes who from Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball right? And then Fritz Pollard and, and football, it changed, it changed America because sports is supposed to be what? And it really is for the most part, except for Kaepernick, a, a meritocracy, right? It's based on the merits, your skills, your talents, ability, not on the color of your skin, not on all these other X, Y, P, Z, Qs, right? So that's <clears throat> unfortunate that sports has to move this society, Right? But it does. And that's one thing that we've grown up with. We've grown up with that famous picture of, you know, Kareem, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, and, and just the, the stands that they took facing, you know, racism and prejudice in the 60s and early 70s. So I, I think LeBron and Kawhi and the Lakers and Clippers knew, and especially Doc Rivers, he's, you know, he's very aware. Look, if we say, you know, we're tapping out, that's everyone loses, right? I mean, no one wins when we all lose. And so it's really about, you know, they're going to open up their arenas for, for voting, right? We've got, unfortunately, um, you know, people trying to suppress. And it's kind of sad that we actually have to say this, but it's the reality of our country. There are people that don't want citizens to vote. So if that's the case, then what kind of system do we even have? It makes everything a farce if, if, if we want to be honest and talking about it, right? So, but just to keep it on the sports, so they're trying to keep, you know, the owners like saying like, okay, you say you have our ear and you, you're, you're down and we help, but okay, so now let's put it, you know, to action, right? Forget kneeling and protesting, yada, yada, yada. Let's pass, 
you know, you let's advocate, make some phone calls, right? Because some of you guys are billionaires who have invested in the Democrats or Republicans or whatever, or, you know, you've got these different connections. So pick up the phone, make a call, talk to the state, the governor. Can we have voting sites in our arenas? And they're doing that. And I like Jeffrey Lurie in the NFL when he came out today and his statements were really strong. I was like, you know, it's really just been the Ravens and the Eagles who have really stepped up and said some really strong statements and I think maybe the Cleveland Browns, but, you know, so they're trying to get some of the football stadiums. It looks like they're going to get a lot of the NBA arenas to, you know, have voting, which is a, a big thing, right? Especially when you've got longer lines in inner cities where black and brown people go to vote, you know, and they do that on purpose. So they're disenfranchised and they don't vote. So hopefully that's a, a big thing, but, you know, they need criminal justice reform You know, they've got to vote to get people out of there because the Senate is sitting on bills to change things for police brutality and for, you know, to put cops, you know, indict and indict cops. You know, there's a lot. So it shouldn't be on athletes, Ray, but it is. So I have to give them so much credit and I'm proud of them for doing it. And, um, you know, let's get to the games, man. Like, you know, (laughs) it's 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 so sad. We waited, we're we right waited since March, right? We waited since <laughs> March. Let's do it. So okay, so right now, just a, a quick update. It's uh, I think it's tied up seventy three all with you know the second round matchup, the Eastern Conference semis of the Heat and the Bucks. But before we get there, let's get to the two series that are still playing. Right um, tonight, the Rockets can close it out. They're playing the Thunder. Right. It's three games to two. And I feel, Ray, like the Thunder have done as much as they can with Stephen Adams banged up and Chris Paul and Shea and and uh, Schroeder. They've been really, you know, more than impressive. But I just I just don't think they have enough. I believe Westbrook's playing right. And I think Harden or Gordon's getting going, you know. They just missed having the big guy, Clint Capella, but they had to trade him to get, you know, the other guys they have. But um, I, I just think the Rockets are going to finish it off tonight. You know, what do you think about that? the rest of that series? Is it over? Yeah, 3-2, I think it's over. Ultimately, the Rockets are just too hard, too hard to handle in this series. Um, I like you say, I give Chris Paul a lot of credit. You know, Gilgis Alexander, Demolgar, Adams, when they're healthy. This is this team is pretty good, the Oklahoma City Thunder team. No, but, we have to but, give Billy Donovan, who we both questioned before in the past, because he, you know, was not living up to what we thought he could do in the NBA. I think now he's figured it out. And then I think everyone's got to pause and be honest and say everyone has – underestimated the leadership and the heart and still the skill of Chris Paul, Ray. He has been the last year with the two years with Houston. And then this year, like I'm blown away. I got to say, Chris Paul, he's, he's climbing up the all time point guard list and, and just in the all time leader list, like nobody's business. I'm I'm blown away. by. Yeah, he really is now. Now, Right, he makes like forty-five million dollars a year, so he's sort of (laughs) 
untouchable yeah. in that respect, but you almost want him to win a championship before he goes out, and, and he's not yeah. going to win one with this Oklahoma City team, and because of his contract, yeah, they, he might not win deal. one. They were talking about to Miami for next, you know, in the offseason. We'll see. You never know. Yeah, but I don't even think with him Miami's going to win anything. But you know what? He really does need to be considered, and he might be the last of the pure. You know what would you call them? Like the pure traditional. But he was he could score, right? So he's not. You know he doesn't not score, but he's not a score first point guard. He's a point guard first point guard, right? He, you know, old school, <laughs> runs the team, gets everybody involved, good shooter, good floor general, can shoot the three, Defense. can shoot from 15 yeah. feet, plays D, moves his feet, a little small, but uh, but you know what? That's never really hurt him. People don't really, you know, abuse him in that respect offensively. Um, so, yeah, you need to really, really look at Chris Paul's career and say, where does he fit in the all-time point guard list, he's not flashy. He never won any MVPs. But if you look at his stats and you look at just the pure, I want me a point guard, Chris Paul's my guy. I mean, you know, he's had a great career. And, and like I said, I would love for him to even get to a, a conference finals, to get to a finals and maybe compete. But, again, with that contract, right, that's the problem when these aging guys with the Larry Bird rights get these super mega max contracts. Yeah. I, I can't see him winning a well, championship. Like, let me ask you something like, that might be controversial. So we know sort of like the top five, right? We're talking Magic, Oscar, our boy, Isaiah, people have thrown Steph up there, you know, different people, John Stockton. When you start to get to like maybe five, well, Frazier, Start to get to like after six, and you go to seven to ten or twelve. We would assume he's in that range, but then you say, is he better than Jason Kidd, Steve Nash? You know what I mean? Like you know, you know. You know it's I mean, interesting. I, it's interesting because you start to get have it, it becomes philosophical, right? Because you start to talk about people that do things great versus. Uh, versus a guy like um, Chris Paul, who does a lot of things well, right? Because so Jason Kidd, to well, me, more I than Chris Paul, more I, I like well. more. I like Chris Paul better than Jason Kidd because I think he does everything, you know, very very well. Jason Kidd was probably a little bit of a better passer, maybe played a little more D. He was he was uh, he hit a lot of threes in his career. Um, a guy like Steve Nash, right, was a great passer, a great shooter. But he played no. Defense. But I think Chris Paul is better than Steve Nash. Yeah, I, I think I so too. But you know, you're in that category of of Steve Nash, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd. You know, where does he fit in that group? Clyde Frazier. You know, you start talking about some yeah. of these all time great. Yeah, he does in that five to ten category. Yeah. Listen, listen. I I still think we can't put Curry ahead of Isaiah Thomas, and a lot of people would say even Al Troutwig. I was listening to our old show with him. I'm sure Al Troutwig would be like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> you know how much he loved Clyde Frazier? That's his favorite Nick." You know, like I I, I can't put because to be honest, Ray. Let, let I mean, we're not going to spend too much time on it, but to be honest, Curry's chip, LeBron forced him to six games by himself with Deladova. Love and Kyrie were hurt. 
So everybody hyped up the Warriors, but it's a, that's a false chip, just like Kawhi's with Toronto's is a false chip because of the injuries last year. And I don't mean false, like, you know, they, they got there, right? They were great. But let's be real. Would they have won? Because then the next year, you know, pre-Durant, you have Love and Kyrie, and they come back and win in seven games. And then after that, then the next two well, seasons. Well, that's because that's also buffoonery on the, you know, from, uh, from your boy Draymond Green, right? If, if he wasn't a clown, they would have won that in five games. It took a miraculous LeBron block on Iguodala in game seven. I hear what you're saying, but, but you also got to think that over a four-year span, they were the best team in the league. Two years without Kevin Durant, two years with Kevin Durant, right? So it wasn't all Kevin Durant. And and the thing about the thing about Steph Curry is he kind of revolutionized the position. So so you got to give him extra bonus points for that. I, I hear you about you know let's say comparing him to Isaiah, but Steph Curry is is gets a little bit of a bonus because of how he's reshaping the 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 position, you know, and he, and he's the best shooter of all time, like hands oh, yeah. down, I think. He's the no, best shooter of all time. So that's a tough one. That, that, that to me, is not so clear-cut. I mean, it used to be three, four years ago, but, but the more I look at it, and then if Steph plays five more years and he hits, you know, he does about a 250, 300 threes a year, if he has another 1,000 oh, yeah. threes. And I'll say this, Ray. He needs to win one more chip without Durant because Zeke's got two. He's got it to me to put him third all time. It's Magic, it's Oscar, and then for me, it's Zeke and then Steph. But for, for, for Steph to pass Zeke, because remember, Isaiah played was a bulldog defensively, and you know, we know back in the days when it was him, uh, Kelly Trapuca going up against BK Love and the Knicks, Isaiah used to drop 30 a night, okay, <laughs> early 80s, before he switched his game and got chips in the late 80s, you know what I mean? So... I mean, I, I don't, if any young kids are listening, I don't want them to think that Isaiah couldn't dance and just destroy cats by himself. You know what I mean? As you saw on one leg, 42 points, game six of the finals in, what, 88 against the, or 87 against the Lakers. I mean, let's not. In the, in the quarter. <laughs> so, okay. So let's get to game seven, Nuggets Jazz. And by the way, I mean, and we get to the emotion of Murray and, the, and what he was talking about with the boycott and all that. Yo, we got to tip our hat. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell are putting on a show. And if this wasn't like the, like, you know, maybe it's not getting its proper hype just because of all that's going on, Ray. But for real basketball heads and aficionados, Murray and Mitchell are dancing like Luca and Kawhi were. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I mean, Jamal Murray has arrived. Michael Porter Jr., remember I told you that draft night, the way that they got that steal when he was injured, he's starting to come around. I got to tell you, next year they're going to be sick, but I, I, I don't – I think the Nuggets are going to win game seven. I, I just got a funny feeling. I think they'll pull it out, but Donovan and Gobert, Utah's tough. What, how do you think 
game seven I plays out. I think the Jazz win game seven. Look, there's no home court advantage, right? So except for yeah. that fake logo that's on the <laughs> in the stand, you know. In the stand. I, I give the NBA credit. Give them credit. What they've done with the technology and the fans, and they've done a great job. It looks really good. I I, I got to tip my hat. They. But you know what though? I I, I got I got to say that. I will give a little bit of a caveat that the league plays no D. <laughs> Even in the playoffs, the D oh, no. is questionable. It's been horrible. It's been the defense has been Mitchell in six games to have two 50-point games, and then <laughs> Jamal Murray in six games to have two 50-point games. The only other people that have done that are Isaiah Thomas and Allen Iverson. So these two, Donovan's averaging 38-7, so almost 39, and Jamal Murray's averaging 34 a game. I mean, we'll talk about Luka Doncic too, but but the NBA is looking so lovely with all these young, talented kids, right? Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville as a sophomore. Oh, no, the game's in good hands. Even though the D has been kind of poor, the offense is insane, and just the talent's insane. I mean, look at these big guys. I mean, even, you know, obviously the Blazers had all the injuries, but Nurkic, and you and and you look at you know what Lillard was doing, and you look at um, uh, Jokic for the you know the Joker for Denver. Um, there's so much all around talent, even you know the the clown show in Philadelphia. Vucevic, By the way, your boy from Orlando. Oh, you know Ray, you know I've been hyping him up for years. That's my dog, and he and he's showing out a couple of games. So you're right. It, I mean, it's definitely in good hands. Now, real quick, who do you think the Sixers should hire as, as their coach? We got well, we still have the Brooklyn job, the Pelican job, and the Sixer job. <laughs> you know what? Before the coach, you got to think about the GM, right? And I'm not convinced Elton that Brand Elton is. Brand is the right guy. You need, you another, you need to make a, a couple years. You can't. I mean, because he you, has you, made maybe, some good moves. maybe. You got, but it's not it's not his fault that Butler wanted to leave. You can you can no, say he should, have kept, he should have made sure he kept JJ. But then you're like, wait a minute, in the playoffs he was a defensive liability. I know I need his shooting, you know, and and I give him credit because he took a chance, right? He said maybe Josh Richardson can give me the three and D, and he just wasn't enough shooting, and and maybe this season or an off season they'll get the shooting and the right coach. I, I got to give him more. T- I got to give him another year or two. But also think, about, think about trust the process for a second, right? Yeah. The trust the process got them Ben Simmons and got them Embiid. the big man, right? Joel Embiid. Yeah. But they were in position. Right? I think ultimately what brings everybody down, you know, what brought Joe Dumars down was – Drafting, you know, in that draft where you could have had. Right, but that was the grand that did that. That was your boy from um, Colangelo that messed that up. Right, that wasn't right. It. But I'm saying that yeah. it brought the franchise down, right? That ultimately yeah, Dumars, you, take, you know, you play over Tatum. Oh my gosh! If Philly had right. Tatum, Simmons, and Embiid, that's exactly what I'm saying. They're, the, they're process, the, the process got them in position. They just picked the wrong guy, right? Uh, and and think about. When they took Jalil Okafor, if they take a Jalil Okafor, if they had just dropped down and taken Porzingis, not dropped down, but just just taken Porzingis, so Porzingis over Okafor, or not traded Foles and Danny Ainge, who wanted him anyway and got Tatum. 
So the guys who are killing the trust, the process, I mean, look, it's horrible to lose for four or five straight years, and that's ridiculous, but they, they were in it worked. They just chose the wrong right, guy. Right. It works. It so, works. And, but here's my, here's my thing with, with the Sixers. You have to make a philosophical decision. Can Embiid and Simmons play together? If you think Embiid and Simmons can play together, then you need a Phil Jackson type. You need a guy that will get into their heads and will, you know, work some kind of Zen master stuff. If you get rid of one of them, then you can get a more traditional coach, right? You either build the team around Embiid or you build the team around Simmons. But right now, their games don't seem to be completely complementary, so you need to get one of them to change a little bit and figure out how to work with the other. And, and I, you know, that coach, I don't know who that coach is. You know, it's not altogether obvious to me who can come in there and take these two egos, these two, you know, players with tremendous, tremendous, unique talent and get them to play together. You know what I mean? Can Jason Kidd go in there and do that? I don't know. I'm Ooh. not sure. And Jason Kidd's a great coach, but, but this is a unique situation. So I, I, it's but, funny, but, the first Jason, time. Jason's willing to think outside the box. And I commend, and I think that's what you need. Someone, right. That's willing okay. to do that. Fair and enough. our next, our next got Thibodeau. You know, we'll talk about the Pelicans, but I mean, you know, whatever, you know, on another show. But let, let's get to these other series real quick. So, yeah, Luca, Luca, I, I want to slow down on the hype. Everybody's like, oh, he's top five, top six. No, no, no. Luca's a beast. He's no joke. He's going to be, you know, they want to hype him up as the next, you know, great white hope. I get that. He's the European Larry Bird. I'll give him all that. And he's nasty. He, he has no, he doesn't play any defense. But so the league doesn't me, play deep. But the league doesn't play deep. But, in a league in that your, doesn't play D, Luka Doncic is a top 10 player. That's top it. Top 10. But top five are specialer, and top five play both sides. That's all I'm saying. So Fair that's enough. why and everybody, he, everybody in the top five, with the exception of Steph Curry, who plays no D. Um, even Durant plays above average D. Right, but he's not – and he's still – and he's probably more like in the top 10 because he's not hardened. He's not Anthony Davis, LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, Curry, or Durant. So, you know, so then you're saying – It's hard to break he, into the top five is what you're saying. Right, and it's hard, like, you know, because so – But I but will he's say – top he's 10 coming. in his second year. He's 21 years no, old. No, he's I coming, mean, and he, he showed out, and he's coming. So now let's talk about Rockets, Lakers, and we'll, let's pick each series real quick. Rockets, Lakers, for me, I just think L.A. is too much. I think Houston, because of the, them getting hot, they can steal two games. So I would, I would take the Lakers in six in that series. I can't disagree with that. I think ultimately, you know, you know me, I, I don't think you can win a championship suiting 25-33. You'll win some games, but you can't and win a championship. Ultimately, six, seven or 6-8 with P.J. Tucker or Jeff Green. <laughs> right. Ultimately, when L.A. unleashes Anthony Davis at the four or the five, I think you don't have any answer for him. And the loss of Clint Capella ultimately, I think, makes you worse, not better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the Lakers. I think the Lakers win. Same thing in six. I think it, it's more likely to go five 
than it is yeah. likely to go seven. I just think the Lakers are too much. And they're starting but to play well. The Lakers are hurting without Avery Bradley, though. I will say that. They miss They him. are. Danny, they're hurting without Avery Bradley. And, and Danny and Green. He, he provides D. His and jump Danny shot. Green just, I don't... Yeah. He's asleep. So Clippers against Nuggets for me, I would say Clippers in six because they have these lapses, and I'm not sure where Paul George is at. You know, so I would say Clippers in six. And then for you, Clippers Jazz, what would you say? I think Clippers in five. At some point, the Clippers are going to put it together. Clippers were a top two defensive team, but they didn't show it. Part of it's because Luka Doncic is special. But I think that there were some fundamental lapses. Now, granted, you know, we talked about this off air a little bit. Patrick Beverly wasn't there. But you yeah. know what? You've got three of the top ten defensive players on your team, and you let one man, Luka Doncic, just get over. Now, granted, he's big, and granted, he's, but, but come on. Your defensive rotations were terrible. Your intensity mm-hmm. was bad. You know, you needed Marcus Moore. I, I, I'm very – disappointed in the Clippers, but I think that Doc Rivers has enough poise and has enough oh, yeah. experience he's, he's in these players. And even Paul George going into his 10th year and Kawhi Leonard going into, what is his 8th or ninth year, they are able to say, look guys, they're just moving it, you know, win in advance. So I think they'll be able to figure it out. And, and the, to me, Mike Conley is still a little bit, you know, still a shell of himself. And so if you're really only talking about Donovan Mitchell and you can put, in my case, right, Utah winning, if you could put Beverly, George, Kawhi on Donovan Mitchell, he's not going to average 34 a game like he is in this series playing against Jamal Murray. No, no, you're right. And, and, and that's that if I was doing uh, jazz, I would say Clippers in five or maybe even a sweep. I don't see how Utah, they don't have enough offensive firepower for the Clippers and they don't have enough individual players to get their own shot. So when we go to the East, um, with the Celtics, man, look, they, they kind of spanked the Raptors game one, but I think the Raptors will bounce back. And I, I, think, I think it's the Celtics' time, and I actually think they could get out of the East, even without Gordon Hayward, because I, I just think the young guys are so young, they can play 42 minutes a night. You know what I mean? You've got to let Brown and Tatum play, and it's their time, and they're coming, and they're ready. And now Kemba's getting healthy again. And, but I, I'll say the Raptors, because I, I, I do like the heart. And, and, and your boy is about to get paid. Van Fleet's about to get paid. And um, I, I do like Siakam and, 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 you know, Kyle Lowry. But I'll take the Celtics in six. And, um, and, and the Celtics, they, they, they're ready. They're ready to fight for a chip this year. Look, I think Toronto has the heart of a champion. And I think they will make this a series, and it's going to go seven. I th- like mm-hmm. you said, the leading scorer on that team is Fred Van Vliet, second-round pick out of, Washington, out of Wichita State. Ooh. I do think Pascal Siakam is the best player on that team by far, yeah. but yeah. they're getting Siakam, Ibaka, Van Vliet, OG Ananubi. Oh, Your boy yeah. from Indiana is doing his thing. Norman Powell and, of course, Kyle Norman Lowry. Powell, you know, Kyle Lowry, is, I think he's a six- or seven-time All-Star. So these guys have won a chip. They know what it's like to win. And I think they're going to give Boston the business. And ultimately, I think Boston squeaks out of game seven. But I think this, this goes the distance. 
It's a great coaching matchup with two guys that might not get enough love. Nick Nurse. I mean, underrated. Both of them. Rick, uh, you know, Nurse. And him and Steven. Yeah, great coaches. Insane jobs they're doing. Um, So, yeah, we're both going with Boston. And then Milwaukee, Miami. I tell you, this one is a little dangerous. I, I say this because another coach that's underrated is Spolster. Eric Spolster is a great coach. He learned so much from Wade and LeBron. And Bam Adebayo is one of the most Bam. underrated. Bam, Bam. He's one of the most underrated players. His versatility and his improvement from year two to three has been, like, he, he's legit now. Um, I wish that they had, like, one more cat. And, and getting Jay Crowder... And I love their young kids from uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. They got some shooters, the, the, the Kendrick Nunn kid. You know, they've got some dogs. And Jimmy Butler, he's just – I love Jimmy. Jimmy Butler, you know, he could have been – matter of fact, the Knicks would have won a chip if we had Jimmy Butler instead of John Starks. How about that? Jimmy Butler is no yeah, joke. Yeah, that's unfair. Jimmy Butler's a perennial all-star. John no, no, Starks is a very – no, no, I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying if we would have had that dog to help Patrick, because Jimmy Butler's a dog. Like he, I, I'm, I'm gonna tell, you, I'm gonna say something crazy. Well, it's not crazy. I, I don't think they can beat him. But Milwaukee, Miami's pushing this to seven games, and right now, no. 92-90. Miami's up 92-90 right now, going into the uh, what nine minutes left in the fourth. Uh, yes, I do because. I don't trust Bledsoe and Middleton. They'll be good for two mm. games, and then they'll be off a game. You know what I mean? And Lopez, yeah, he's starting to get it going, but then he disappeared earlier in the bubble. I don't love Milwaukee's – now, Wes Matthews is, is, you know, sometimes he's a huge help, but I, I just – I think Miami's shooters, if they – they can shoot enough games. Gotta give and, Goran Dragic some credit. You know, he's just yeah, been no. a very good player for a long time. From back in no, the Phoenix, dragon is good. The dragon is good. I, I will he say is. this. You know, take bucks and seven. Bucks and seven. Oh, I got bucks and five. I think if the Ooh. Heat win this game, the Bucks are going to get it together and decide to go win four in a row. Um, I don't know. I just see when when you throw that front court of Giannis, Lopez, and Chris Middleton, you bring you know Marvin Williams off the bench and Connaughton. I just think it's too much. You know, Butler. Well, that was a big. That was a cute signing, Marvin Williams. He's just been a solid Mar yeah, yeah, yeah. Hill pro. And and, and how many guys have you said that about, right? From JRE to Joe Wolf to all these years, all these, you know, different Tar Heel pros, Pete Chilcott, who just have these 10 to 13 year, uh, you know, Rick Fox careers from North Carolina. And that's what Marvin Williams has been. Now, he was drafted a little too high, but he's been a solid pro, you know? Agreed, agreed. And, you know, ultimately, Milwaukee, I think, will, will start to hit their stride. I and mean, I think. The Heat are actually a good tune-up for them because it stretches <laughs> them. They're a team that plays. You know, appetizer you know, up. Is it going app? Are they calamari? Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little appetizer. But you know what? That backcourt of Dragic and Butler with Jay Crowder. You know, obviously Ooh. Bam's going to be a little out, out man down low. But 
I think this is good for them. I think this will get them ready for some guard play that they might face in in the Celtics potentially, and then and then whoever comes out of the West. Tyler Hero so, dropped thirty one night, yeah. <laughs> Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. I mean, th- those stories are unbelievable. Those two guys. Great stories. Just right? great, interesting stories. Yeah. Yeah, write a movie about them one day. <laughs> I, I I love Jay Crowder too, man. He's just he's lunch pailed his whole career, and he's worked on his game. You know, I. I yeah, it's a, it's a great story. So, you know, I guess when we get to the conference finals, we'll jump back on and then really talk about that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I still think, you know, it's, we both, you know, Lakers, Clippers, and then it's probably going to wind up being, you know, Bucks, Celtics. But um, either way, we're going to have a great Final Four in the NBA, and we'll have a great championship because I think Giannis – He's he's on some sort of mission. He'll probably get the second MVP. They didn't announce it yet, right? It's coming up in a they couple days. They just announced, by the way, you know they announced most improved player. Who got it? The most improved player on the MIC. Who got it? So you get um, um, Ingram. Our boy Brandon Ingram. Oh, he deserves it. He got yeah for yeah. sure. I mean, he, he averaged, you know, he averaged 24 a game this year, 24, and 6, and 4. Listen, LeBron's like, I wish I kept him over Instead Kuzma. Of Kuzma. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? He had the blood clot. So in some ways, it it it, uh, it was the safer oh, bet it, to get yeah. Kuzma. But he's the better player. I mean, even coming out of Duke, being the number two overall pick, Kyle Kuzma may have reached his ceiling faster. But Brandon Ingram has just got a better all-around game. He's very talented, and the Pelicans, they get the right coach. You know, they'll have a good future. I hope Mark Jackson gets one of these jobs, Ray, when we talk about our Big East guys. Um, you know, and uh, there's, there's just some – on Mark Jackson's imprint on the Golden State Warriors, you know. Because he's he didn't play D, because he didn't play D as a player, people sort of think, well, he doesn't know how to coach defense. But that's actually not true, and he made that critical decision to sit uh, um, David Lee and have him come off the bench, despite the fact that he was making a lot of money as a free agent, and really was the glue. The glue on that team is Draymond Green. And the ability for Klay Thompson to hit shots and the ability for Draymond Green to just play that roving sort of 4-5 and for them to be as efficient, as if almost as effective on defense as they are on offense, that's Mark Jackson. That's Mark Jackson's imprint. Steve Kerr inherited about as good a situation as there is in sports. You know, maybe you could argue Pat Riley inherited the same thing in '81 when Magic got yeah. Westhead fired. Oh, yeah. But other yes. than that, to inherit to inherit the Golden State Warriors, and, and, and our boy and our boy Tory with Buck Showalter. <laughs> That's true. Poor That's Buck. true. In ninety in ninety six, the story comes over for for sure. But in terms of basketball, you want to be the coach after Buck. Oh god, Bob Friendly too. Yeah, well, Bob got that chip. Yeah, he got that chip. So, yeah, yeah I mean, no, Mark Jackson does be, need another shot. Yeah, he does. It's but it's going to be fascinating. And you know what's going to fascinate me the most, and we kind of talked off air about it, and we'll just keep it on the NBA, not to the NFL, but just the whole shortened, weird, unpredictable upcoming offseason, right? 
how, where and how do we scout these very talented, like the kid from Memphis and then, you know, um, uh, Lomelo Ball and, and, and Anthony Edwards from Georgia, right? These, these college kids, then the, um, I think the, the great player from uh, Israel, right? He's like a top four uh, prospect. Yeah. Um, and, 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 then, and then free agency, and then starting, they're trying to figure, okay, do we start December 1st, December 15th? And I'm just like, whoa, it's rushing it. Like, to me, I know you don't want to have the first games be on Christmas Day, but start like December 20th, have the big, like, bonanza on, on, on Christmas. Because if you go December 1st, that's just not enough. I don't think it's enough rest. Who knows what it comes I think they're going to have to play back in the bubble, which is going to make guys insane. And maybe they're talking about having four or five bubbles around the country, which makes sense, you know, which I thought baseball should have done. And maybe they'll do that for the playoffs. They're talking about it, which they should, you know, because um, it's just going to be fascinating. You know, same thing. You know, we don't have to get into it, but same thing with the college football. That's not even really happening. And then some will happen and their draft. So we are in some unique. And that's why I sent you the text. It's everyone's got to just be flexible adjustable and just willing to change because you can't hold on to anything. Yeah. And and not only that, but I think this is an opportunity for basketball to become the summer sport. Like it is in, in, you know, in real life, you know, with some leagues and AAU and all that stuff, because they might have a logistical hockey start December 1st. Because that's after the Thanksgiving. It's like the little delay before the bowl games. Would you start your season instead of yeah. starting early October? 100%. So start from December 100%. 1st and, and have your chip kind of be like right before. You don't want to go to Labor Day, right? But have your chip be what, like August? How exciting would 1st? it be as a basketball fan, as a sports fan? who only has baseball really to carry you in the summer and potentially you have Olympics, potentially you have whatever basketball finals usually end in late June, right? Cause the draft is usually the last week in June. So the NBA finals, let's say call it June 20th are over. If you could make that August 20th and you can get July and August with basketball instead of just baseball, right? Mm-hmm. How exciting would that be? that basketball is the sport that gets you through the spring and the summertime after you've gotten your base, you know, your, your baseball gets its, you know, you get March madness in, you get the Super Bowl in Feb in early February, you get March madness in March, in April, baseball gets its opening day. And I think, you know, maybe baseball is going to shorten its season. They, they won't because there's too much money involved, but how exciting is the 60 game season or, or bring that 162 down to like 130 or 120, but too much money on the table. But let's say baseball gets April and then May, you know, it's still, uh, it's still baseball. And then June is when basketball starts its playoffs. And then you get June, July, and August for the basketball playoffs. Baseball gets September uh, with kickoff of football. And then so is that enough time? Because gets- right now, right now, they're normally off July, August, September. And they kind of, that's like, a, they uh, normally so they, have the- they go around, around Halloween, let's say. Well, they know, but they've been the starting, like, starting the second, third week of October lately, the last two years, right? But I'm just saying, like, so the say December t- like if they end August fifteenth and then they start December twentieth, I guess so that would be 
September, October, November. Yeah. So even if they, or even if they August end August twentieth, yeah, because because you still gotta have draft. So then your draft could be, you know, like the, you know, your draft could literally be the weekend right that dead weekend kind of right before college football and the NFL, right? You could you could have the limelight there, have the draft, free agency. I'm saying you know, the basketball go- draft is not as much as the football draft. So in no, that no, respect, not, if, you, if you leave some money on the table, I think just the ability to get the nation's attention in the dead of summer June, when July, nothing August, but baseball right, is yeah. going on, I think that would be great. I think that would be fantastic. Right. Instead of competing and banging your head with football, it's a lot easier battle with baseball because, honestly, baseball – you know, we love it. We grew up with it, but they've got a lot of challenges. And I got to be honest, I've, I've tried to watch some games. It's, it's hard without the fan. Baseball is a tough watch right now. It, it's, been, it's been a tough. The one, the one rule I do like is the double headers now are seven innings. So when you yeah. get two games, and I really like that, two seven-inning games, because they have to catch up, especially with all the COVID-related delays. Baseball yeah. doing the double headers I like, actually. Yeah, well, our Yankees better wake up, and you got the White Sox, the Rays, the Oakland A's balling out. I mean, you know, the Padres are looking good. It's uh, it's fascinating. They made big moves. The Padres made five trades in the last two days. So right at the trade deadline, they got Clevenger. The, the Padres are going for it, and good for them. Fernando Tatis Jr., best player in baseball right now, MVP. Insane. No, that. They've been uh, – listen, I, I, I'm impressed. You know, it's just – it's a toss-up, right? Because you still – I mean, it still looks like it could be, you know, Yankees-Dodgers, but Yankees got to wake up. Now, and it's – what? That's right. We've got uh, 16 teams making the playoffs this year, right? Yeah. So you have the first two in each division. And then Baseball you got – is is – it'll be interesting that was a to see what's going on. I would have done – I wanted them to extend it, but 16 is too much. I, I, they could have just done six and six, 12. Yeah. Look at, if you look at the playoff percentages for these teams, amazing. It looks like the Yankees, even though they, have a, they had a, a, a stretch where they lost seven in a row, they have a 98% chance of making the playoffs, almost a 99% chance of making the playoffs. No, and it's weird to see the Red Sox being so horrible. But, but we'll be back. We will um, – you know, we'll we'll have to touch on some baseball when it's time for their their postseason and stuff. But we have our NFL preview show September 9th. and um, you know, Rain Tay, we'll you know dip in and dip out, but we we definitely got to at least at least lay our picks out for the for the nation and on the table because this is going to be the most <laughs> this NFL seat. Now you want to talk about unpredictable with no preseason. You know, not sure about you know the new coaches and how they can put in their systems and the free agents and you know your first two or three picks. But then what about the fourth, fifth, sixth rounders and un you know undrafted free agents? This is going to be one of the most fascinating, unpredictable NFL seasons. So strap in, get ready, and um, hey, have fun and um, always join us with you know talking sports with friends. You know. Yeah, be safe, everybody. Enjoy your family, your friends, and enjoy sports with Ray and Tay today. Wow. Wow.
Yeah.